Bible, but get to John chapter 4 today. We are in a study of the book of John, and we've been camped, camped out for a season of time in John chapter 4, specifically um, with the conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at a well. And over, excluding last week, but over the past several weeks, we have, from chapter 4, looked at eternal life. We've looked at effective witnessing. And today, I want to talk about essential worship. And, and I want to read our text, and, I'm, I'm, and my hope is, is that as I read our text, you're going to see one word continue to jump out, and, and it'll kind of give support as to why I'm talking about essential worship Today, And so from John chapter 4, <clears throat> starting in verse 19, it says, The woman said to Jesus, and says, um, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. All right, pop quiz. What word kept popping out? Worship. I was really hoping that had been a crowd participation point right there. Because I'm hoping you all are wide awake this morning, okay? Uh, because I am hoping for a paradigm shift in your mind this morning when it comes to worship, okay? Ten times, ten times in four verses, the word worship is mentioned, Okay, so now you've heard me say this. If you are reading a portion of scripture, reading a chapter, and you see a word repeated numerous times, do we ignore it? What should we do about that? Pay attention to it. Because how many of you know that word's not being repeated because Jesus had nothing else to say? Okay, in fact, eight out of those ten times, Jesus mentions the word worship. So, um, so I'm starting to think as I was Going through this, I'm like, well, if the word worship is used 10 times and Jesus uses it 10 times or eight times of the 10. Should we not pay attention to that? And should we look a little deeper into this topic of worship? And so that's where we're going today is I want to look at this topic of worship. And like I said, I am hoping for a paradigm shift in your thinking when it comes to worship. So let's look at three things today about worship. And here's the first thing. I would encourage you to take notes. Worship is this. Worship isn't about us nor for us, but it is for God to ascribe honor to him. Worship isn't about us or for us, but it is for God. And it is for God to ascribe honor to him. And that's what we see here in verses 20 through 20. Two, but we need to set up some context here, okay? It's been a couple weeks since we've been in this chapter, and I just want to refresh your memories. Remember, Jesus is having this conversation with this Samaritan woman, and he shows up at a well outside of this, the, the, this small little village, 
And he shows up by himself, and he's waiting for this woman. He, as you remember, I, I, I preached on this. He already had a divine appointment with this woman, okay? He wasn't showing up, and it wasn't by per chance that she showed up. He already knew. He, he was like, I'm, th- I'm there for a purpose. So this woman shows up, and, and she shows up at noon. And remember, she's, she's kind of the outcast of the village um, because of her lifestyle. And so she's going to f- get water when there's no one, other, uh, no one else going to be there. She doesn't want to be around other women because the other women are going to be pointing fingers at her. And she's like, I'm just going to go when there will be nobody there. So she shows up, and here's this dude sitting there. You know, in her mind, she's like, oh, man, I don't need another guy right now. But she shows up, and, and, and Jesus begins a conversation with her about her need. And remember what her need is? Water. He just starts having a conversation about water. And next thing you know, that the physical water conversation turns into a spiritual conversation about water. But it's not the physical water because he tells her, he's like, I'm telling you, you can keep getting water out of this well. And it will never satisfy the thirst that's deep within you. He goes, you'll get, you'll get the, you're going to get thirsty again and you'll have to come back here. But I've got water, living water, that will satisfy to the depths of your soul. And you'll never be thirsty again. And she responds in verse 15 and she's like, okay, sir, give me that water. Now, Jesus doesn't go to, okay, let me show you how to get the water. He goes into, starting in verse 16, talking about her lifestyle. He goes, first, before we go any farther, go get your husband. And she's like, well, I really don't. I don't have a husband. And he's like, exactly. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. And she's like, oh, wow. And she says, now, getting to our text in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. In verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people to worship. Now, it's interesting, as I studied this a couple, you know, the week, would have been, I would have preached this last week, so as I was pre- studying it, I read a lot of commentaries, and it's interesting how many commentators say that this woman, the reason why she goes from talking about spiritual water to her lifestyle to worship is because she was uncomfortable. Jesus is now kind of drilling down on her sin, and she's like, oh, I need to change the subject. Let's talk about worship. As I read that, and, I, and, and, and she's talking about him being a prophet and goes into worship. Can I tell you, I don't think it's because she was uncomfortable. I think she realized when she says, you're a prophet, she knows what a prophet is. A prophet hears from God. A prophet knows the voice of God. A prophet knows what God knows. So can you tell me something? There's an an old problem going on between us Samaritans and the Jews. And the problem is this. Where are we to worship? Do we worship here in Samaria? Is worship about us Samaritans or is it about you Jews? Do we worship there or here? Who's worship about? What is it for? Where do we go? She's wanting to know, where do I worship? Because if you're a prophet of God, you should know the answer. That's where Jesus is going now. And he's going to blow her mind about worship. Because she's wanting to know, is worship about us? 
Is worship about where we go and what we do? And Jesus responds in verse 21. And he says to her, woman, now, when he says the word woman, don't, us today are like, well, he's just not being very nice. Woman! It's really a, a term of endearment. It's almost like he's saying, my dear, believe me. And he says, woman, believe me. So he's setting, he's setting the story straight here. He's like, listen, you've got a lot of misinformation going on. I'm going to tell you something, and you need to trust me what I'm about to say. He says, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He's like, here's the answer to your question. Is it about you, the Samaritans, or about the Jews? Here's your answer. Uh, neither. It's not either one of you. It's not about you at all. He goes, because there's a time coming. You see, when he says that, he's going to repeat himself here in, in verse 23 or 24. When he says there's a time coming, he's referring to himself. He says a lot of stuff about himself without saying any stuff about himself. And when he says there's a time coming... He's referring to himself in this, in this aspect. He's like, because he's like, I'm going to do something here pretty soon that's going to forever change the way people look at God. He's like, I'm going to change the way people have access to God. I'm going to change the way people relate to God. I'm going to change the way people are saved from God. I'm changing everything. A time is coming. That worship isn't going to be about here in Jerusalem or here in Samaria or here in Jerusalem. It's not about this mountain or at the temple. I'm changing every aspect of worship. He's trying to give her a deeper understanding of what worship really is and what it's going to become. Because in ancient times, whether it was in Samaria or Jerusalem, even, even other pagan cultures, Worship was about one thing, especially like, like, let's use the Jews, for example. Jews, their whole aspect of worship was, I go to the temple. And we show up at a certain place, and we say certain words, and we perform certain rituals. And once we do all of this, we, we show up, we do our thing, we say our words, and when we're all done, worship is done. And we go home. And we don't worship again until we go back to the temple. And then we go through all of our stuff again. And when we accomplish that, we're done. And worship is finished. And Jesus is like, can I tell you, worship is going to be so much more than that. I need a volunteer. Who's, who's ready for a pop quiz today? Anybody? Andrea, I'm going to give you the pop quiz. She turned to Jeff and started talking. Like, if I talk to you, Jim won't look at me. So that's why you just need to look at me and go, call on me, because I won't call on you then. It's when you divert your eyes. I'm not going to. Tell me this. Just tell me what, what you initially think. When you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? Praise, God, prayer, praise. You're in, you're in that vein, Okay. Let me, let me ask you, when we hear the word praise, kind of define that a little more. Singing. That's where I was really going. 
Because I think in most of our minds, if we're honest, we equate worship to singing. Okay? Now, in fact, we've even, church, we've even done and made it easier for y'all. We sing praise songs and we sing worship songs. Because the praise songs are fast songs. They're, they're uppity, uppity, but you know, hey, we're, those are praise songs. But when we bring it down and we bring the lights down and we adjust the right, now we're worshiping. You see, Jesus is saying, and in fact, we even equate worship while we go to church to worship. So when we have performed our stuff, we, we, we have come in, We've sung our songs, we have given our offering, we've listened to the message, and once we leave, worship is done. Until when? The next Sunday. Then we come back and we repeat the process, and we do that each week, and we do our worship on Sunday morning at church, then when we're done, we go home, and life is now ours. Jesus is saying, worship is so much more than that. You see, the, the word worship, in its most literal meaning, means to bow down before. Worship means to give honor, to adore, to revere, to glorify. Worship is about lowering self and elevating Christ. Can I tell you, worship, now this is the paradigm shift. Worship isn't about the music. Worship isn't about even coming here. Worship, write this down. Write this down somewhere in your notes. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not a moment of time. It's not a performance I do for an hour, hour and a half, and then I'm done. No, no, no. Worship, real worship, true worship, essential worship is a lifestyle. Worship isn't going to stop when you leave this building. Worship continues in your life when you leave this building. Worship starts tomorrow morning when you wake up in the morning. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. He defines worship for us. Paul writes and he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true spiritual worship. Notice he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul is writing to the church, but he's using Old Testament verbiage. He's, he's writing to Christians who no longer make sacrifices, but he's referring to the sacrificial element of the Jewish religion because the Jews would bring animals to the priests and the priests had an altar and they would kill that, alt, that, that animal and lay it down. They would sacrifice it. They would, they would put it before God and they would take their hands off of it. Because it wasn't theirs. The lamb, the bull, the ram, whatever it was, it was laid down on an altar, surrendered to the will of God. That's what he's saying here. He's like, here's what worship is. As a believer in Jesus Christ, here's your true spiritual worship. Offer your body, your life, 
as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to him. So guess what? If I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice, is that something I just do on a Sunday morning for an hour? Or is it when I go to work, I'm offering myself to my heavenly father as a living sacrifice? So guess what? When I'm on my job and I, I come to a crossroad where integrity is, is there, what decision do I make? Do I live with integrity or not? You see, remember, as I defined, worship is loving God. It's honoring God, adoring God, obeying God, proclaiming him. It's ascribing him worth. It's elevating Christ and lowering self. So worship, when I truly understand that worship is not just about what I do on a Sunday morning for an hour. It's not just singing songs, but worship is happening in my marriage. When I'm honoring God and loving God with my spouse, I'm honoring my spouse by honoring God. When, I, when I'm at my job and I'm doing, my, and, 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 and I'm not fudging numbers and I'm not, you know, living a life of, of, of no integrity at work, but I'm honoring God on my job. I'm loving him on my job. I'm elevating Christ on my job. When I'm, now this is, again, are you going to be perfect at this? No, absolutely not. But the idea is, is that every day, every moment of my day, I'm trying to live a life that says, God, I'm laying it down. Here's my life, God. It's yours. Here it is. And every day, every moment, to the best of our ability, man, we are trying to lay this life down on a sacrificial altar for God. That's worship. Worship is not about us coming here and singing a few songs and then wrapping it up and going home. Now, do not hear I'm, I'm, do not think you're hearing, oh, Jim's telling us we don't got to go to church anymore. <laughs> That's not, well, you should not be hearing that, okay? What we do here on a Sunday is an outflow of what we've done Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The worship that has taken place throughout the week, and again, worship throughout the week doesn't mean that I'm in my car and I'm playing um, Vertical worship in my, in my CD player. That's not worship. It is, but it's not. Worship is I've lived my life out for God throughout the day. Then when we come here, when you come to church and we're singing and we're giving our offering and we're hearing them, all of this now becomes an outflow of the week-long worship that I've already done for God. I don't just zero in on a Sunday morning and go, well, I performed my duty. I, I, said my, 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 I said certain words. I sang certain songs. I did certain things. I accomplished all my stuff, got my spiritual check mark. I fulfilled my worship. Now I get to live. All I, no. True worship is a lifestyle. True worship. See, and again, some people... Uh, you know, we get, we get so fixated on this thing, okay? Let me ask you, don't raise your hand, but have you ever said, oh, I won't go to that church because they don't play hymns? Oh, I, I, I won't go to that church because the style just isn't right. Or we think worship is, per, well, I belong to this denomination. That's what real worship is. Can, 
Worship isn't about us. Worship's not about you, yo. (laughs) Worship has nothing to do with you and me. Worship is for one person. Who is it? It's for God. Him and him alone. And so everything that I do needs to be vertical. My God, it's for you. I want to act this way for you. I want to love you because of you. I want to honor you. I want to ascribe worth to you because you, Lord Jesus, are worthy of it. That's why Paul says in Romans again, he says, I urge you, what? In view of God's mercy. Because of what God has done for us. The mercy and the grace and the forgiveness we have through Christ. The the death that Jesus, he did it for us. So worship is us responding to that. And that's what Jesus is telling this woman. He's like, it's not about you. It's not about where you go. It's not about what you do. It is all about God. And so that's the first thing we need to understand, that worship is for God to ascribe the honor due him. Here's the second thing about worship. Worship is about an intimate relationship with God. Worship is about an intimate relationship with God. So now look at verse 23. So now Jesus says to her, he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Again, it sounds like he's just being very rude to the woman. He's like, woman, you you worship what you don't even know. Now, he's not being mean. He's just stating a spiritual fact to this woman. Remember, this woman is a Samaritan. Okay. Now, again, this is something I've I've talked about over the past couple weeks. A Samaritan was was a mix, uh, you know, uh, like ethnicity. They, had, they were a mix of Jews and Gentile. They had both, okay? And, and that made them unclean to the Jewish people. So not only were they Jew and Gentile, but they were also a mix spiritually because, because of their Jewish background, they, they adhered to parts of what was called the, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books, the Pentateuch, they, they followed some of that, but they didn't have the, the, um, the prophets, they didn't have the Psalms, none of that, just parts of the Pentateuch, but they mixed that with other religions, idolatry and stuff, and it was this mixed bag of na- nasty religion, and Jesus is like, you don't even have a clue what you're worshiping. He's like, because you don't know what you're worshiping. But then he's like, but us Jews, we do know because we have a relationship with God. See, that word know is key. When he says you worship what you don't know, we worship what we do know. That word know is key. That word know isn't just like, like I know something. It's I know it. It's, it's having a personal connection to it. Okay? Like, like. Again, you know, in connection with a spouse, a lot of you know me, a lot of you know Paula, you know things about us, but I know Paula better than all of you in this room. You know your spouse better than your neighbor does, okay? It's a different knowing. That's what Jesus is referring to here. 
He's talking about a different knowing. He's talking about, hey, listen, you don't have a personal connection with God. We do because the Jews have that connection. But notice what he says there. He says, you don't know what you're worshiping. We know what we're worshiping. He says, for salvation is from the Jews. Do you ever think sometimes Jesus just would, why is he going off the rail? Why, why is he taking a right turn here? What does, he's talking about worship, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, by the way, salvation's from the Jews. What does that have to do with anything? What does salvation from the Jews have to be, be do with anything about worship? It has everything to do with worship. Because Jesus is explaining to her, I'm changing everything. He's like, he's like, worship is not just going to be just for you Samaritans. It's not just going to be for the Jews. It's not just going to be for one group of people. It's going to be for all people. And the way that's going to happen is through salvation from the Jews. And who's the Jew that's going to salvation is going to come through? Jesus. He's talking about himself without talking about himself. He's like, salvation is coming from the Jews. I'm the one. And he's like, when salvation comes, that's going to connect people to God in a whole different way. You see, this is what we need to understand is, is that there are a lot of people today in churches all around this country and around the world, a lot of people going through the religious motions right now. They, they're, they're singing their songs. They're giving their offerings. They're they're, they're, they're participating in the, the service, but can I tell you, they're not worshiping right now. Well, Jim, how can you say that? They're in church. They're unchurched, but they're unsaved. Think about that for a moment. Do you realize there are people in churches today unsaved? It's just the same thing that Jesus says to, to Nicodemus in chapter 3. He's like, he's like, you are a Pharisee, and I'm telling you, you don't know how to get to the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. You've got to have a spiritual revelation within in order to be connected to God. You see, what we all need to understand, what Jesus is saying here is, apart from him, without him, we are, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, spiritually dead before God. You have no relationship with God without Jesus. You have no connection with, with God without Jesus. Your sins, our sin, my sin, your sin, separates you from God. It creates, it creates enmity between you and God. It creates a chasm between you and God. And there's no connection apart from Christ. Without salvation, there is no connection with God. We are all separated from him. Jesus died on a cross, and through faith in him, that connects us to God. That's the salvation that we need. And so guess what? If I don't know Jesus as Savior, I don't know God. I can know things about God, but I don't know him. The only way I come to know him personally is I need to have a personal relationship with him. And that only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. So when you and I know Christ as Savior, that is how you and I have this relationship with God. No relationship with God, no connection with God. No connection with God, no knowing God. In order to know God, I have to be connected to God. In order to be connected to God, I have to have a relationship with God. 
and that only happens through Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing. The last thing about worship is this. Worship is connecting both intellect and spirit to God. It's connecting both intellect and spirit to God. Look at verse 23. He repeats himself. He says, the hour is coming and is now here. He's talking about himself. He says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, there's four important things in those two verses that we need to see. First notice, he says, the true worshipers, the true worshipers will worship God. Well, who are the true worshipers? I mean, are you a true worshiper? Am I a true worshiper? How do you know if you're a true worshiper? It goes back to the last point. You've got to have a relationship with God. Again, true worship is about a lifestyle. True worship is a lifestyle where I honor God, live for God, try to obey God, follow God, adore God, ascribe worth. It's everything about God. Well, here's the thing. If I don't have a relationship with God, I don't know Christ as my Savior, am I truly wanting to live for God and honor God? No. I'm not a true worshiper. A true worshiper is when I know Christ as Savior and it changes my life. I like this, what this one pastor by the name of Brian Bell says. He says, true worship is not the location of worship, but the object of worship. True worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It's the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth. It's the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. You don't need to find God in a special place. True worship finds him in every place. True worship is not a certain place. It's not a certain time of the week or a certain format. True worship is a relationship. If you have a relationship with God through Christ, you are a true worshiper. And this is who Jesus is talking about. He's talking to you. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're a true worshiper. So Jesus is talking to you. He's like, here's the true worshipers. Here's what they're going to do. And he says they're going to do two things. One, they will worship God the Father in spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to worship in spirit? Again, I think misunderstanding comes into here. Because we think misunderstanding, as I said earlier, we equate worship to coming to church. We equate worship coming to church and singing songs. So here's what we do. When we equate it to that, here's what worshiping in the spirit is. It means in church, while we're worshiping, we're exercising spiritual gifts. That's worshiping in spirit. Or we're worshiping with a lot of emotion and a lot of hype. We're really, man, it's, it's, it's like we're, we're worshiping to, to 12, man. We're, it's not nine. We're at 12. And it's just like the atmosphere and everything. It's like that's worshiping in the spirit. It sounds good, but it's not correct. I like what the Moody Bible Commentary says. The Moody Bible Commentary says it this way. It says, to worship in spirit means to worship, it means to worship with God in one's life, to worship as one in whom God, who is spirit, dwells. Jesus gives us the answer in verse 24 about what worshiping in spirit is when he says, God is spirit. 
So here's the thing. In order to worship God in spirit, my spirit has to be connected to God who is spirit. If my spirit, again, how do I connect my spirit to God? Remember, without Christ, you're spiritually dead. You have no relationship with God, no connection with God. Your spirit is not connected to God. But once I ask Jesus into my life, Jesus, come in, be my savior, save me, boom. In that moment, the Bible tells us that the spirit of God dwells within us. My spirit is now made alive. The spirit of God dwells within me. And in that moment, guess who I'm connected to? God, who is spirit. So you and I, the way we worship in spirit, it's not an emotional thing, okay? Getting all emotional doesn't mean you're worshiping in spirit. Exercising spiritual gifts doesn't mean you're worshiping in spirit. You're worshiping in spirit, can I tell you, even when you're here and you're just like, man, I'm just, I'm very stoic. I'm just going to keep my hands in my pocket and I'm going to sing very soft. You're, as a believer in Jesus, even in that moment, guess what you are? Worshiping in spirit because your spirit's connected to God who is spirit. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up and you make it your duty, your, your goal to say, I'm going to honor the Lord and live for him today and honor him and walk with him. Guess what you're doing? Worshiping in spirit because your spirit is connected to God who is spirit. So Jesus says you got to worship in spirit, but notice also he says you also need to worship in truth. Well, what does that mean? Well, worshiping in spirit means my spirit's connected to God who is spirit. Walking, worshiping in truth is that now I live my life in accordance to the truth of his word. I'm honoring God. What's the best way you honor God? By doing what he says. I know what his truth says. I know what his word says. So guess what I do? Every day, again, perfectly? No. Progressively, yes. Every day, I make it my goal. Every day, I, I, I do as Paul says. I make it my aim to do what God says. I know what he tells me to do. I know how to live. And as I keep putting one foot in front of another every single day to say, I want to honor God today. I want to live for God today. I want to love God more today. I want to elevate Christ more today. So I'm going to do that through his word by knowing what he says and doing it. Guess what you're doing? Worshiping in spirit or worshiping in truth. Because you're taking the truth of God's word and applying it to your life. Walking it out. Living it out. Honoring him. Spirit and in truth. But one little last thing we need to see in this text I think this is really awesome. In verse 23, it says, The hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Think about that for a moment. God is seeking you to worship him. You're the sinner. You're, you're the one who we all, as Isaiah said, have gone our own way. We've gone astray. We do our own thing. I know what God says, but I'm one. we are the sinner. We're the one who has disobeyed. But guess what? God says, no, I want to seek people. First, he wants to seek you who don't know him. He wants to seek you. He wants to have a relationship with you. 
If you don't know Jesus today as your Savior, can I tell you, God's seeking you. He's after you. He's, he's, already, he's already given Jesus to die for you. He's just trying to woo you and lead you. To, he's like, through the Spirit of God, trying to connect you again. He's trying to say, hey, do you know me? Have you ever, have you ever accepted me? Hey, come to me. Come and worship me in spirit. Come and connect with me through my son. For us as believers, I'm telling you, every day, the Holy Spirit is going to, hey, let's worship God together. God is seeking you. He wants you to live for him. He wants to have this relationship with all of us that is just like, God, I know I'm not perfect, but man, I want to make it my, just my goal every day to honor you. And he's seeking people like that question is, do you want to be that person? Can you, do you want to respond to the call? Do you want to respond to that still small voice that's just, hey, why don't you come and worship me today? I want, I, I want you to worship me. I want to be with you. I want to connect with you. He's seeking people like that. So what about you? Make a decision. Come to that place tomorrow morning where you wake up and you're like, you know what, throughout my day, I'm going to figure out and I'm going to make it my goal. I want to worship God today in spirit and in truth. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you come to church, you overflow, and then you repeat the process week after week, month after month, decade after decade until he takes you home. That we make it our aim, our goal to go, you know what? I want to worship my God today. And I'm going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Why don't we all stand? Let's get ready to close. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, we do praise you this morning. And Father, thank you that you came after us and that you are seeking us. And Lord, I would pray that all of us in here, if there would be anyone in here today or even listening online who doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, as Savior, help them to know that, that Jesus, you, you came seeking for them. You died on a cross for them. And that if they don't know Christ, that they would come to that place where they would say, Jesus, I need you. And Lord, I would pray for all of us who already know you, Lord Jesus, as Savior. We have that relationship. We have that connection with the Father. But Lord, help us to move past thinking worship is only something we do for an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday, and then we're done. Lord, I pray for that paradigm shift in our hearts and our minds to go, you know what? Tomorrow, I will worship. Wednesday, I will worship. Throughout the week, I will make it my aim and my goal to worship my Heavenly Father. And Lord, we worship you by honoring you, loving you, living for you, pleasing you, ascribing worth to you, elevating Christ in our life. That worship becomes a lifestyle and not just a moment on a Sunday. So Father, we praise you today. We just thank you. We just thank you for this time we've had. We praise you in Jesus' name. Hey, Jim. Amen. Um, I'm getting texts. Well, we're, <clears throat> so I keep texting, but it's, um, they have my dad at prompt care in Texas and his leg is hurting really bad. And Kim just asked us if we could pray because they're imaging it. They think there's a blood clot. 
So let's pray then. Lord, we just want to lift up Richard to you. Just praying, Father, that um, you would give the doctors wisdom and insight here. We're praying, Father, that um, your healing power now will flow through his leg. That, Lord, if there is a blood clot, they can get it, they can find it, and they can remove it. And, Lord, we pray that um, blood flow will be restored. We pray, Lord, for the pain uh, to be relieved. We pray, Lord God, that you would just work in this situation. I just pray for peace and comfort. Uh, Lord, just praying that you would be glorified here and that, Lord God, um, all will go well according to your perfect plan. And we just pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.